whether they've had injuries in the past is also a good um, insight to have. But if someone clean slate hasn't ran before, wants to start running, you then look at, okay, if they wanted to build up their load, how much wiggle room do we have? How safe do we think, how robust do we think they are when it comes to adding on load? Because people don't realize, but you know, you generate a lot of load when you run. You know, two to three times your body weight goes through your body every single step that you take. If you are constantly worried about getting injured or you don't know how to get faster as a runner and you want to continue to run for stress relief, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome to Healthy Runner, the only place that provides you with training tips, injury recovery, and prevention tools with actionable strategies by experts in the running industry so you can develop a stronger running body and feel confident that you can overcome any obstacle as a runner. I'm your host, Dr. Dwayne Scotty, avid runner, running physical therapist and coach, educator, founder of Spark Healthy Runner, where we help dedicated runners get stronger, run faster, and enjoy lifelong injury-free running with the perfect online running coach, even if you've been told to stop running with an injury or you think coaching is just for fast runners. Learn more about our signature coaching program at learn.sparkhealthyrunner.com. Every week, we help a runner just like you learn how to consistently get in your mental clearing miles and even hit PRs well into your 40s, 50s, and beyond. Make sure you subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or follow the show on Spotify so you don't miss the next episode. Thanks for joining me. Now on to the show. Before we get into this episode, if you are recovering from an injury and you want to make sure you are maximizing your nutrition to become a healthy runner, you'll want to check out Heal from the Amino Company. Later on in this episode, I will tell you more about Heal and how it can help you with your injuries and overall recovery. Or you can check out the research yourself at aminoco.com slash healthy runner. Are you a runner who is constantly in the injury cycle and now you're realizing there's a way to do the thing we love to do, which is run, and do it the right way? If you're a dedicated runner and you want to learn how to stay healthy and how to become a smarter runner, this is what we're talking about today, which is how do we actually prevent running injuries? We're going to break down the science of injury prevention and how you can implement proper load management principles into your training. Welcome to episode 161 on the Healthy Runner podcast, where we help you get stronger, run faster, and enjoy lifelong injury-free running. Today, I have the pleasure of having my good friend from down under, back on the show, Brody Sharp. Welcome back, Brody. Excited to be back, Dwayne. Yeah, and a good topic today. I'm excited. Yeah, and this is actually, I went back and looked at at the archives here, and this is your fourth time being a guest <laughs> on the show, which is definitely takes the title for the most appearances by any guest who is not a part of our Healthy Runner coaching team. So congrats uh, to you, Brody, for winning that award. <laughs> <laughs> and it's always such a pleasure coming on. <laughs> Like I say, I could chat about this sort of stuff all day. So thanks for giving me the outlet to talk about this because I get jittery if I don't go on rants and talk about these sort of topics too often. Yeah, well, thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to honestly share your knowledge 
um, here on the Healthy Runner podcast. And for those who have been, you know, hiding under the running podcast rocks for some reason, you don't know who this guy is. Uh, this is Brody Sharp. He's a physiotherapist, the host of the Run Smarter podcast, and the author of the new book, Run Smarter. And I'm super excited to have him back on the show because he always brings his A game with his insightful knowledge and application to running injury prevention training, and performance, and I'm sure today will be no different. So in this episode, Brody is really going to educate you on why proper load management is one of the most important concepts you need to master as a runner to become a smarter, faster runner. And we're going to chat about kind of stress science, understanding principles of load versus capacity and what that means. And honestly, if you master these concepts, this just may be the key to unlocking your potential as a runner and really staying out of that injury cycle that we see uh, so often. So yeah, Brody, I'm excited to chat about this topic with you and get your take. And yeah, first, I guess I, I need to say, man, congratulations on the new book. It is a just an amazing resource that you have compiled for runners. And you did it in in fairly short amount of time. So I need to congratulate you because I remember when you told me when you first started working on it and you pumped this thing out. So kudos to you. Thanks, mate. Yeah, it was a, it, in my eyes, it was probably the hardest project I've ever undertaken in from, from like a, someone looking from the outside in, it did get done in probably just over 12 months, which seems like the blink of an eye in some book circumstances. But that was, you know, five, six hours a day of writing and, you know, going through quotes and recording and images and all that sort of stuff. I had no idea what it would entail when I very first undertook the the project. But very glad to have it out. Very glad to have a, a copy that I can look at and flick through and very, very proud of myself and happy with the overall outcome. Yeah, it is It is quite honestly the masterpiece and it is a, a, a far more valuable uh, copy than like the three years I spent on my dissertation and have <laughs> a book in my office that no one will ever read or care about. <laughs> So your book is actually very actionable and uh, many runners are going to be able to benefit and, you know, we'll definitely get into this later, but you can, you know, anyone, you know, we'll pitch it right now, honestly, because I, I'm very strong, you know, that many runners uh, should be reading this book if they're really looking for like injury prevention, as well as like increasing performance, they can get it on Amazon. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, most online um, stores, mostly Amazon is probably the most popular, but um, in most online distribution channels, you should be able to find, yeah, Run Smarter. Um, if you type it in, type in Run Smarter, Brody Sharp, it should pop up straight away. Awesome. And yeah, so I, I do want to kind of get into this topic of injury prevention since it is kind of really one half of your book. So you kind of broke it down into you know, preventing injuries. And then the second part is really increasing performance. So getting into this preventing injury kind of topic, you know, in your mind, what, you know, how do we prevent injuries as runners? I know yeah. that's kind of a, a huge question, but <laughs> I can kind of break it down. Like I said, I've wrote the book on it. So I think I could, I should be able to answer it. 
and that's exactly right. Like the book itself, the the first part is reducing the risk of injuries because, you know, with my podcast audience and Facebook group, you know, and most of the runs I talk with, that's the number one topic that people come up with. It's like, what do you want to hear more about? Oh, reducing my risk of injuries. That's number one. And the number two is usually, oh, I want to increase my running performance. I want to do a, a marathon in the safest way possible or do a faster 10K or, you know, it's usually one of those two things, which is why I've set it out the book in a way that, you know, part one, these are 10 principles, 10 chapters to reduce your risk of injury. If you want to increase your running performance, part two, again, 10 more chapters covering those things. And yeah, we start off, like we dive straight into it, like part one, part two, or like the first few chapters of part one is about the key principles to preventing injury and to answer your question, how do we prevent injuries? Well, in the physio world, we focus on what we call the big rocks, you know, in your training at the time of your injury or, you know, stuff that revolves around your training. What are the big rocks that we need to focus on? And then we have, you know, littler rocks that we maybe can focus on. We've got pebbles that probably aren't that warranted. And then we've got like grains of sand that, you know, should just be avoided altogether or like not even worried about. And so, the big rocks are your training loads. It is this load versus capacity model that every runner should understand. And a lot of this can be quite detailed, quite scientific, quite like, you know, science heavy, but we try and break it down and reframe it in a way that every runner can understand. And, you know, these sort of generic principles, hopefully you sort of can get the concept. And when it comes to load versus capacity, if you can envision that every ligament, tendon, muscle, bone, every sort of component within your body has a certain limitation. It has a certain capacity that it can withstand. And in your training, if you create an environment that exceeds that capacity, then it's going to start breaking down rather than building up. Essentially, what we want to do in our training is we want to find a sweet spot that still challenges those structures because we don't want to do nothing or we don't want to underload yourself or we don't want to get complacent and you know just do what you know you can tolerate without seeing any progression we sort of want to challenge those structures those tissues and we want to recover on the back end and as we recover we get stronger but what we don't want to do is train too much have too much of an abrupt change in your training and exceed the capacity of one of those things one of those structures it might be your achilles tendon it might be your plantar fascia it might be your um, patellofemoral joint or the the kneecap if you do something that's too much too abrupt and your body isn't ready for it and it exceeds the capacity and then you continue to exceed that capacity then your body will start showing signs of symptoms. And if it's mismanaged, it can then lead into an injury. And so understanding this in a, a few a few ways can then start reflecting. You can start reflecting on your past training. You can see, okay, at the time of my injury, or if I have had an injury in the past, around that time, what was happening? And the vast, vast majority of the times you can relate it to this load versus capacity model it might not be as obvious. It might not be just like an abrupt, okay, I doubled my mileage from week one to week two. It might be a little bit more subtle and there might be some recovery components or stress or sleep or those sorts of things. But 
you know, I think we've seen a lot of injured runners in the past and you can pretty much point most of them to an abrupt change in physical mechanical load. Curious to hear your experiences and what you think on that topic. Yeah, I would say that is by far the most common thing we see, right? When a runner comes to us who, you know, I just talked to a runner yesterday, right? IT band syndrome. And, you know, going through that history, like you said, you know, this runner had an injury to the hamstring, had some nerve issues, basically went to a medical provider who shut them down for six weeks, said, no running, we need to get you pain-free, discharged them and said, go back to running. This individual was signed up for a race and still wanted to run this marathon. So when we went back in the training log, like you said, you know, she really went from not running for six weeks to within eight days, 10 days, I believe it was, trying a 16 mile log run. (laughs) So you can guess how that went, right? And the knee swelled up, severe pain around the IT band. So I think that's just to put it in, I guess, um, context for someone listening here. And, you know, the old adage is kind of doing too much too soon. And when you say load, what you're really saying is like the stress to a specific tissue, whether it is that IT band, the Achilles, the fascia, right? So it's, it's whatever stress, and it could be running too many miles. It could be running too fast. It could be doing too much speed workouts in your week. It could be increasing your weekly running volume, right? Like your mileage, all of that is, is load. Are there any other examples that you can think of that we can kind of put that in context for the listeners? Yeah, we can say change terrain, change hills, like all of this changes things up on your body. Other things that people might not realize is like if you abruptly change your shoes to something that's a little bit more like minimalist or barefoot or something like that, that all these things are fine. Like you can do speed work. You can transition to minimalist shoes if you want to. You can uh, progress to hills if you wanted to. But the idea is you can't make it an abrupt shift. You need your body, you need to give your body time to adapt to those things. And going back to your example with that ITB syndrome, not only are we looking at the physical load, which is, you know, doing a long run after some time off, okay, that's an abrupt change, but from there's also load versus capacity. So that's the load side of things, but the capacity side is that, okay, you've had an injury, which the recommended um, advice thing you do is take time off. And if you take several weeks off, what that does is reduce the capacity of everything else in your body. And so we want to make sure that we preserve a lot of the capacity in these circumstances. You know, whether we rest injuries is a good conversation to have because a lot of runners who listen to my podcast, they eventually learn that, you know, absolute rest from an injury is in some circumstances like the worst thing you could do. If it is a bone stress reaction or a stress fracture, yes, we want to take the the necessary time off. But for most overuse injuries, you need to still stimulate that that area because we want to preserve as much capacity as possible. And yes, we don't want to overload it and continue to irritate it, but there is some middle ground there. It's not absolute rest. It's not continue with your overloaded training. There's somewhere in the middle. 
Yeah, and that was actually the last uh, topic that we talked about on the Healthy Runner podcast was episode 114. You shared with us kind of to run or not to run with an injury, right? That's a, that is the question. Yeah. And, you know, do we stop running? And you did share some of the, the rare circumstances that runners actually need to stop running. But, you know, I agree wholeheartedly that the majority of the running related injuries that we see, and we know that, you know, those that are listening to this, those that are listening to your show, because we actually did do some research on this, uh, this past fall, uh, with the research survey that I sent out and, you know, thank you again for sending out to your, your community, 90% of our essential listeners have had a running related injury. So we know injuries are out there. And I think like today's topic, Brody, is, is the key, as I mentioned in the beginning, in the opening, the key to preventing these injuries from occurring versus, you know, you as a runner right now listening to this and just feeling like my body's broken or I'm just not meant for running or, you know, I, I can't tolerate running. I can never be a fast runner or I can never um, run a marathon, right? It, it, it's understanding this principle that Brody's talking about is this, how much load you're putting through your body and allowing your body to actually adapt to the demands because our bodies are like amazing, right? You hear about these like incredible stories of people running across the country, right? And running, you know, these crazy distances in my mind, right? And we've had people on the show and I know you've had uh, folks on your show as well, right? Like just to think like running a hundred miles is to me sounds like crazy, right? Like my body would not tolerate it because I do not have, definitely I do not have the tissue capacity built up for my tissues to tolerate the load of running like a hundred mile race, right? But Absolutely. if- we're patient enough and we allow our bodies to adapt, then we could gradually increase the amount of load. And then if we increase our tissue capacity, then we could do like some of these amazing things that, uh, you know, these runners are doing out there. Yeah. Can I bring up as well? Cause you bring up an interesting point. You said that some runners, they feel like uh, their body's broken because they break down every time they they train too hard or something like that. People can go down the path of getting an injury, getting assessed, and then feel like their body's letting them down because after a, a manual assessment, they find all these inadequacies or imperfections or imbalances, malalignments, those sorts of things. It's very, very common for someone to get knee pain because they trained too much and then a therapist assess them and say, hey, you actually have one leg longer than the other, or you overpronate on just one side, or, oh, your hips are tilted, oh, your pelvis is out of place, like all those sorts of things, which we know in a healthy population is extremely common. We know 90% of the healthy population have some sort of leg length discrepancy and they're fine. And you had that leg length discrepancy before this injury and you were completely fine. It was only the catalyst was just training too much that sort of caused that issue. And that's why I brought up at the start, we focus on the big rocks. The big rocks are your training load versus capacity. The 
Smaller rocks are kind of like your strength imbalances, your flexibility imbalances, which, yeah, you kind of want to address, but it's not the catalyst. Like, technically speaking, if you had your Achilles is 80% the strength of your other Achilles, if you train just under your training load to meet that weaker Achilles, then you won't get an Achilles tendinopathy. You won't overload that Achilles tendinopathy. But if you do overtrain, it's that Achilles that's going to be the first thing that pops up because that's kind of like a weak link. But if you have good training principles, that's never going to happen. And people can really go down a a dark path of saying, my body's letting me down because I have all of these imbalances, all of these malalignments, my spine's out, my hips are out, my glutes aren't activating, my quads are overactivating. And it's it can be quite worrying for a lot of people, but, you know, I've seen a ton of runners. I've worked with hundreds of runners that come to me and say, I, I, I feel like my body's letting me down. And you just lay out a load versus capacity solution and they get better and their confidence restores and they're back to running what they want to do. Yes, it's a patient process. You do need to practice patience, but, you know, you can get there in the end and restore a bit of confidence in your body. I couldn't agree more. And I I found that has been the key to success and really what changed my career, honestly, trajectory in helping runners has been figuring that piece out, right? And it wasn't the, you know, manual techniques that I was doing with patients. And I think, you know, for you and I both, like working with runners all over the world, you know, virtually, that we are able to get runners back because we understand this concept, right? And like you said, it is those large rocks. Like, and that was great that you used that analogy because I use that a lot of like, how are you going to fill the jar, right? If you got the large rocks, medium rocks, and you got like small pebbles and sand, you know, which one do you put in first? If you put the smaller stuff in first, the big stuff doesn't fit. So you got to start with those large rocks. And yeah, I completely agree. And, you know, for those that have been, you know, listening to this podcast and, you know, you guys did hear, um, kind of my six step plan on how like we stay healthy as runners, really the two areas that we're really talking about today is the run plan. Like we talked about running and, and how much load we're doing. And then I think what we're going to be probably delving into is how we build up that tissue capacity um, at some point, and that's going to be kind of the strength training that we talked about in you know episode 159 when we kind of how do we grow as runners, right? So those are the these two like key components that Brody is talking about from like a science level is balancing this load versus tissue capacity. And before we get into like the tissue capacity side of things, Brody, you know, is there, I guess, can you give us an example of how someone would be able to increase the load? And I would imagine it's probably going to depend upon like their tissue capacity and like their level of fitness, right? And like their running experience and do they, you know, have they been strength training for 10 years or 20 years in the gym? Um, but can you give like an example for someone listening and they're like, okay, don't do too much too soon. Like, you know, what's a good example that, you know, someone might be able to relate to? Yeah. And like you say, gathering data beforehand, really important because everyone's different. 
whether they've had injuries in the past is also a good um, insight to have. But if someone clean slate hasn't ran before, wants to start running, you then look at, okay, if they wanted to build up their load, how much wiggle room do we have? How safe do we think, how robust do we think they are when it comes to adding on load? Because people don't realize, but you know, you generate a lot of load when you run, you know, two to three times your body weight goes through your body every single step that you take. And if someone's unhealthy or has been sedentary for a couple of years, maybe a little bit overweight, all of those things like really generate a high amount of force on your body. And so, yeah, we ask questions about, you know, do you do strength training? Do you do cross training? Do you do sports? If you did those things, how long ago did you do them? Um, how progressive were you with them? And you just get a general sense of what people, how strong you feel like they are. And then you start embarrassingly short and embarrassingly slow and you build up from there. And it's it's horrible for the first couple of weeks because people are thinking, why am I doing this? At Like, why am I doing these walk-run programs? Can't I just walk or can't I just run continuous and run at the speed I want? Um, you can do that, but your risk of injury increases. And it depends on how much risk you want to take on. If someone is a seasoned runner or just like a recreational runner three times a week, 15 miles per week, and wants to then increase from there, we then have a look, okay, what's your strength training? How much strength training do you participate in? How long have you been running? How long have you been running injury-free for? Are you managing an injury? All those sorts of things will factor in how much sort of leeway or wiggle room we might have when it comes to you know, building on mileage. And we usually start with slow miles. We usually start with, okay, let's just increase one or two miles per week, spread it across the week, see how things go. If someone is only running twice a week and wants to run more often, then we would spread that same mileage across more weeks. So if they're running, you know, five miles twice a week, well, let's run three miles three times a week and sort of just spread it more across the, the week so you have more opportunities to adapt. And then we just slowly build up from there. We, we start with slow running, build it up once you've got a, a pretty decent foundation we can then introduce some speed. Some abrupt changes that people have, especially when recovering from injury, is they start, they're very cautious. And so all of their running is really slow, but then their next progression is doing all of their running just a little bit faster. That's someone's, you know, progression, but that's too much. You know, you want to keep most of it slow, but then just find one day to go a little bit faster and then see how you feel. And we're using this to and fro, you know, we make these clinical justifications or these decisions um, based on the individual, but it also comes down to listening to your body. These are all just guessing games that we have. If you are injured, yes, I'll take more of a cautious progression. If you haven't been injured in 12 months and you look quite strong, yes, we sort of progress a little bit uh, more aggressively, you might say, but we then have to go back and revert to what's your body telling you? How much how much spring do you have in your step? How fresh are you feeling on your runs? How tight are you getting? What are your What's your muscle soreness the next day? Like all these sort of things we then pay attention to because as a coach, um, as a therapist, we just, we just guess and we guess on our best assumption based on all the data we gather, but then it 
solely relies on, okay, now how are you responding to that? And then we make more justifications and more decisions off that. Yeah. And I really like how I, I think really what you're referring to is what you refer to in your book is like finding that adaptation like sweet spot. And mm-hmm. I loved your graphics in your book of kind of not where, you know, you're underloading, right? Because you do want to improve your fit, like all of us who run, right? We want to obviously get better. Like who doesn't want to get better, right? You want to do more distances. You want to run faster eventually. But I agree, you know, most novice runners make that mistake of getting not underloading, but they jump all the way up to overloading and they're not finding that adaptation sweet spot. And I tell most of my runners who are starting out, if they're doing couch to 5k or, you know, if if they're starting out honestly in their first year to two years, like I still consider you a novice runner, you know, you really need to look at running as it should be somewhat boring when you do it. It should not feel like you're getting this amazing workout and you're getting a runner's high when you go out there. Because if you are pushing that hard, like you would in, let's say, a cycling class or a HIIT workout that you're used to doing in the gym and you're like, oh, I've seen all these people running outside. That looks like fun. Or maybe I could be a runner. Let me like use that for my exercise or use that for my weight loss. And they they do too much, right? And now they're really kind of the load is exceeding what their tissue capacity and they're getting into that overload zone. And then that's when we see, you know, most people getting injured. So it's almost having like the patience to be okay with, hey, I'm going to run to allow my body to adapt to the demands of running, as opposed to saying like, hey, I'm going to be a runner because it's like a really good form of exercise. I'm going to lose a lot of weight and I'm going to burn so many calories. Thoughts? Mm. Well, can I throw another question back at you? When you say that running should be boring, assuming that you're talking about like effort levels or speed or something like that, do you have any advice on what slow running kind of looks like yeah it, it's keeping it in that easy zone and that's that's thank you for that clarification that it is somewhat easy it's it's not very hard you know if we're using rating of perceived exertion i used to say a four out of five but i think most people overestimate so now i tell my clients a three like especially mm. if i i am you know, more on the conservative end and they're just getting back into from an injury and they are surprised that, well, you're actually start, like I could really run four times a week. And I thought you brought up a great point before about the frequency Brody, because that's like classic, right? Like how many runners have you seen? It's like, I got a bad knee or I got a history of, you know, plantar fasciitis. I can never run back to back days. So I only run three times a week because I know if I run back to back days, my injury gets worse. And how many times it's like just changing that frequency, like you said, and so many people and us runners, I'm guilty as charged type A, like go out there and run five miles, three times a week or four miles, three times a week, right? The same mileage. And when I'm designing my, you know, run plans for my clients, it's like, yeah, there's going to be that four miler. And the next day you're going to run maybe two, right? If 
we're being more conservative and that's your only back-to-back day if we're doing a four-day run plan. But I agree with you, like increasing the frequency of running throughout your week is actually like protective for your body because, and I know, you know, you're going to get into like, how do we build up that tissue capacity? You mentioned before, like increasing the frequency of the number of days you're running can be like super protective versus going out there for a longer session, less frequent throughout the week. But yeah, going back to your original question was uh, effort level where it, it should feel easy. You should be able to, you know, we call it conversational pace running where you can talk to someone next to you. You know, the other thing is really just if you want to go by heart rate, you know, we are staying in what we call zone two of, you know, your heart rate zones. And you you, you should feel like, hey, I'm only going out there or I'm going out there for one mile. I'm going out there for two. I'm going out further for three. But you could probably do this for like an hour or an hour and a half if you needed to at this effort level. Yeah, that's how I kind of describe that to, to my clients. We all know one of the most frustrating parts about running is suffering an injury and bouncing back from that injury. We all know how important it is to get a proper diagnosis, properly load the tissue with specific strengthening exercises, incorporate mobility, and strengthen your surrounding run-specific muscles if you have listened to any of the running injury episodes on this podcast. An often neglected aspect of injury recovery and becoming a lifelong injury-free healthy runner is the nutritional component. For injuries to properly heal and allow your body to recover faster, you must supply your body with the nutrients it needs to accelerate muscle repair, and that is what the Amino Company's product Heal does better than any other product I have seen on the market as a physical therapist who works with a lot of runners struggling with recurring injuries. Heal is designed to reduce recovery times and improve physical function after injuries by accelerating muscle repair while helping maintain a healthy inflammatory response. In fact, a recent clinical trial compared HEAL with high-quality whey protein. The net balance between whole-body protein synthesis and breakdown was measured, and the response was that HEAL was found to be at least three times larger than that of whey protein on a gram-for-gram basis. Heal was shown to both reduce muscle protein breakdown and increase muscle protein synthesis. So let's break down the results of this clinical trial in a way we can understand. Participants basically had less muscle breakdown and faster muscle repair using Heal. If you're looking for a nutritional advantage while recovering from that stubborn IT band syndrome, Achilles, hamstring, or posterior tibial tendonitis, or even recovering from your daily training if you are healthy, I highly recommend you give Heal a try. I recommend it to all my athletes coming back from injury or those that are struggling to recover after hard workouts that I put on their running calendar. We even have a special offer for you where you can save 30% off by using the code HEALTHYRUNNER. Just head to aminoco.com slash healthy runner. That's A-M-I-N-O-C-O dot com slash healthy runner and use the code healthy runner at checkout to save 30%. How many people, how many runners finish a workout, finish a run and then think to themselves, 
I could continue for another hour. Like it's rare, but you know, that's what you should be doing in your easy workouts. You should be feeling like you should finish the workout feeling, you know, relatively fresh. But a lot of people have the idea of, okay, I've listened to Dwayne. He says a three um, on the RPE scale. So I'm going to run a three and then you run for the first three quarters of it at a three out of 10. And then you're like, oh, I'm feeling too fresh. And there's only, you know, 10 minutes to go. Let me pick it up a little bit. And then, you know, by the end, you're sort of like sprinting towards the end and then you're out of breath and you've, you know, blown that out of proportion. A few things I wanted, a few things you mentioned that I'd like to talk about. Almost every sentence that you say, I'm like, oh, I have something to say about that. So apologies <laughs> if we're jumping back and forth. No, I love it. Your example of someone who's injured and they say, oh, I can't run back-to-back days because every time I run back-to-back days, my injury gets worse. Some of the principles that I teach on the podcast is paying attention to your symptoms like during, after, and the next day and one of the key rules is you need to return back to baseline symptoms within 24 hours. Less than 12 hours is better, but less than 24 hours is like standard. And if you go from a run back to back days and that increases your symptoms, it means that that first run that you did, your symptoms haven't returned back to baseline. And that means that that first run that you did has been too much. It's been um, too long, too hard, or too many hills, or you know something. Some component in there means that it's too much. And what you want to do is find out what speed, what duration, um, what shoes, what terrain all meet those conditions and meet those pain kind of parameters or pain rules. And then you can increase your frequency after that. And then once you increase your frequency, you think of it as more days throughout the week that your body can adapt. You know, if you run once a week, your body's going to struggle to adapt and get stronger and get fitter. Your cardiovascular system isn't going to get the same sort of stimulus. And, you know, you're not going to progress to becoming a better runner compared to someone who runs three days. And they're not going to become a faster, better runner more efficiently compared to someone who runs five days. And so, yes, there is a certain limit. You can't run every single day because you need recovery and you need a good balance. But running five days a week gives your body, if it's in that adaptation sweet spot, gives your body another opportunity to recognize that stimulus and say, oh, this is what this is what you want me to adapt to. Let me go through my ad- adaptation process and suit you know, those conditions that you're giving me. And so some very key you know, universal components within there. Absolutely. Yeah, I thank you for that clarification. And, you know, at, before we get into kind of building up, kind of how do we build up, you know, tissue capacity, you kind of talked about this objective way of, you know, monitoring our load. And if someone is currently recovering from an injury and like, you know, finding out what their pain is during activity, how long does it last for? And, I've heard you talk about that many times on your podcast. And those those questions, I think, are are definitely gold, right? In making those decisions on whether or not to run or not to run like the next day and how much um, you do run. Could you just talk about, before we're talking about like, how do we build up tissue capacity? And, and I think it's going to kind of go to what areas should runners focus on in building up tissue capacity? You have a great figure in your book about body weight of force. 
like the percentage of body weight of force when we're running and then kind of running at different speeds. Can you just talk a little bit about like the impact of running has on our bodies and like what areas of the bodies are impacted most with running? Yeah, I'd love to. And this is from Tim Dawn's paper. Um, I think it was a 2018 paper and I just extrapolated the data and put it into a graph, uh, which has like on an axis of once you start increasing your running speed, how hard do muscle groups need to work? And, you know, put it on a, a, an axis of compared to your body weight. And I show this to some of my clients all the time, particularly because I see a lot of hamstring clients, a lot of proximal hamstring tendinopathy clients. That one is pretty stark in terms of its, uh, I guess, exponential demand to meet once you increase your speed. Because when you run, let's use your calf or your soleus as an example. It works pretty bloody hard, even with slow running. You look at your soleus muscle, which is a muscle, a part of your calf complex. It works six to eight times your body weight, every single step that you take. And even at slower speeds, six times your body weight is enormous. And yeah, when you start increasing your running speed, it starts to slowly increase. So it gets maybe up to seven, maybe up to eight and doesn't, doesn't really reach, um, doesn't really spike too much. It just works hard the entire time. But then you have something like your hamstring, which works maybe two times your body weight uh, when you're operating at slow speeds. And as you increase your speed, it exponentially increases the demand. And so it's it's not this linear fashion and people realize uh, that they're, they're surprised when they do their hard sessions that they can do pretty well. But when they do their sprint sessions like that next level up, you know, they develop a hamstring strain or a hamstring tendinopathy. And it's because that little, the next gear up, your hamstring's probably working twice as hard and it can work like ridiculous amounts. And that's because like the faster you run, the harder your hamstring needs to decelerate the swinging leg has that eccentric component during the, the terminal swing phase. And yeah, it's that and your hip flexors have that same exponential growth or that exponential demand with speed. Um, your quads, they work, you know, two to three times your body weight. That doesn't really change based on speed. And it's really interesting to point out and very obvious when you have a look at a runner, look at their history, look at their changes in running speeds and what injuries sort of develop because of that. It's, um, yeah, it's a pretty stark reminder. Yeah. And I, I would say, you know, there's two things that really stick out to me in that graph is like you said, the exponential increase in hip muscle involvement as we run faster. So, you know, from a training perspective, I think about, you know, the runners that are running slow, which we know that the mo majority of our training should be at, right, like 80%, if we're using 80-20 rule, you know, should be at easy running, slower running. But if you're always running slow in training, and then you like to do races, and you like to push yourself at races, and now you're trying to run fast, but you actually didn't train your body to run fast, and you didn't strengthen your hip flexor muscles specifically, your hamstring muscles specifically, then you're going to be more at risk for injuring those muscles when you try to run faster at races. But the other thing that really got me with that graph, Brody, is how much difference there is 
in the load to the calf muscles, specifically the soleus, you know, more so than the quads, more so than the hip flexors, hamstring with all speeds of running until we get to the fastest, fastest, and we shift from the ankle to the hip muscles and how many rudders neglect. And I was guilty as charged for a good eight years of my, my first eight years as a runner. I like never, you know, strengthened my calf muscles. It was like the neglected muscle, like always, you know, growing up like a gym rat, like after college, all that stuff, like I hated working out calves. Like they just, they're just not fun. Like it's not a fun exercise in the gym. Like no one's like getting all jazzed up to be like, yeah, today's calf day. Or, you know, I'm going to really, you know, strengthen my calves. And for me personally, Brody, like once I started, you know, getting some more of this information and realizing how much of a demand the calf is under when we run and really doubling down and prioritizing that in my strengthening and doing it specifically, you know, singling out soleus versus the gastroc, the bigger muscle with the knee straight has been huge, like on just staying healthy and you know, if anyone's listening to this right now and you are not doing any dedicated work to your calf muscles in order to stay healthy, it's because when we are running, like the greatest amount of body weight for force and cross section of that muscle is going through your calf. It is working the hardest out of any of our muscles in our legs. And it's pretty staggering. Like when you look at that chart to me on like how much higher that calf muscle is. Yeah. And you can strengthen this and raise its capacity in two ways. Like, yes, you can increase your calf capacity by running more, running faster, doing all those sorts of things, but it needs to be really delicate. You know, you can, you adapt to calf strength in your running by running. Like that's the most specific way you can do it. You can do hill repeats or you could do strides or you could do, you know, faster sprint sessions you can definitely do that, but what you're doing to try and solve that solution is just by more running. And, you know, these injuries happen due to overuse, doing the same thing over and over and over again. So you, it can be done, but there's risks associated with that. And so the other way you can do it is meet those conditions, but in the gym. And that's a lot safer. It's slow, heavy load. If you do three sets of 10, that's a lot safer than trying to raise the capacity by doing a sprint session you know it's it's you can get the right you can get to the same point by both of those both of those approaches but one is a lot more riskier than the other in my eyes yeah so just kind of circling back there is are you saying that you do kind of promote more of more repetitions before adding external load and lifting heavier first? Are you talking about in the gym? Yeah. Yeah. So, so if in we're the looking gym, to increase like, okay, so I, I guess we're probably segueing into like the, the capacity of our tissues, right? And how do we raise that capacity for the loads that we're doing. And we kind of talked about proper load management and how we progress that in our running. So now I guess we're kind of probably talking and shifting conversation a little bit of like building up the capacity in our tissues. So can you, do you mind just reiterating your point there? 
Yeah. So you, you raise the capacity in a number of ways. One, you raise the capacity in your running. So you increase your mileage gradually. You increase your hills or your speed work, whatever your goals are. That's how you raise the capacity, which um, hopefully if you've listened to the first part of this conversation, it's do so gradually, do so sensibly and avoid abrupt changes in training. The other way you can do it is in, you know, some form of cross training. That's sort of if you can find a cross training alternative, usually for cardiovascular purposes, but you really raise the capacity efficiently with strength training. And if you haven't done squats, lunges, deadlifts, calf raises before, if you're very inexperienced, then yes, you would start with body weight. You'd start with, you know, high reps, but the goal is to eventually start adding the weight and hover around a rep range of eight to 10. So by the eighth or 10th rep, it's really challenging. And that's eventually what we want to progress to. We don't want to pile on the weight straight away because if you haven't done a squat before, you're going to run into trouble with back pain or knee pain and those sorts of things. So we do want to be safe in the gym, but I've seen people do single leg squats and they hold on to a five kilo dumbbell and that's their exercise and they do that for six months straight. No systematic progression to increase the weights. Um, I actually don't prioritize a lot of the single leg stuff. Yes, running's a single leg exercise and we want to meet those conditions, but we do that in your running. And what we want to do, the purpose of getting into the gym is to do something to raise the capacity to meet conditions that, you know, the body just won't meet during your running. You want variety, but you want to raise the capacity in a way that, you know, you won't meet in the running. That way we will get an overuse injury if we keep doing that. And so I've found that because you want to do the slow, heavy stuff, like you said, like the muscles, they work two to three times your body weight, five to six times your body weight with the amount of force that's required. So we do need to go heavy. If you've had a tendon issue in the past, we know that tendons love slow, heavy load. The tendon synthesis, like their adaptation process, is a lot more efficient if you do it slow and heavy once you've adapted to it. But you can't go slow and heavy with single leg exercises. I've had people try to do hamstring rehab because the top, the proximal hamstring of the ham, the proximal part of the hamstring, that tendon is undergoing overload. And we try and do slow, heavy load, but they're doing single leg deadlifts and they simply can't foster the right balance, the right control, the right speed and the right weight unless they do double leg. And so I've seen people just, that's all they needed. I've had an injury chat with someone who, and I just did a um, a podcast episode where we talk about their success story. All they did was make a shift from single leg exercises to double leg exercises and their tendon rehab was just took a huge turn for the better. And that's what we're looking for. We're looking for slow, heavy load. And if we're talking about the calf, my favorite exercise is a double leg standing bent knee calf raise. So I'm coming up onto my toes and back down while maintaining a slight knee bend and that biases the soleus, the the muscle underneath the, the gastroc. And I load up 35 kilos heavier than my body weight. So I'm at about 90, 95 kilos, three sets of 10. I'm really pushing hard to get to that 10 reps and 
do that twice a week. And I feel like that's good conditions to carry over into raising the capacity of that particular unit. Yeah, so much, so much gold there. You know, I, I will challenge you on a couple of points not related to tendon loading specifically, because I am pretty passionate about making sure that runners have single leg stability. So I guess the only thing I want to add to that is not from a loading perspective, but more from a stability perspective in working your foot intrinsic muscles, your ankle stabilizers, and your side hip muscles from a stability standpoint for running. I like single leg exercises and have that in my plan for, I really think all runners should be doing it, but not with the goal, as you mentioned, for tendon loading or strengthening or building up the capacity of tissues. And I completely agree with you, like with the proximal hamstring tendinopathy, which is like pretty wild because if someone's listening to this, I don't know. I think you and I both probably have combined to produce like the uh, most comprehensive resources for proximal hamstring tendinopathy. So we see a lot of runners with this condition. And yeah, I, I rarely even give the single leg RDL exercises out anymore. And if I'm going for that loading, it is with two legs, but I do have to say like the Nordics and even like eccentric heel slides, like with the bridge on one leg, I do like a lot because they are very challenging. And I feel like is, is stressing that hamstring muscle and tendon enough, but, and I, I would agree uh, because we just had a client who finished up and he was like, yeah, when I really started adding the weight with the RDLs with two legs, he felt like much better improvements in his symptoms from that tendon loading capacity standpoint. And with the calf muscles, I, I completely agree, Brody. We have to add that weight gradually. And, you know, we can't just like, I guess probably Brody and I, I'm speaking for you now, Brody is we don't want you to go away from this episode thinking like, holy cow, like I've been underloading. I'm not doing enough strengthening with heavy weights and don't just go from like zero to a hundred. Right. And, and build that weight up. And I'll use myself as an example, Brody. It wasn't until last year. It was actually at this time right now. I did a couple episodes on this. Um, it was January, February, where I, I started for the first time since college, which for me, I'm a little or a lot older than you are, uh, it was like probably uh, 20 years since I actually did some, I'm going to call it air quotes here uh, for the podcast listeners, heavy squats and heavy deadlifts, because every time I attempted to do it, I always hurt my back. And I, I just figured like, hey, I got some long legs. I got long femur bones. I'm just not meant to squat. I'm not meant to deadlift. Uh, it's just not for me. I don't need to do that to stay like healthy. And last year I, I went back to, you know, getting down my movement patterns and my goal was to add load and strength train heavy with lower reps to build up the tissue capacity, but it's not where I started. Like I talked about in the podcast, Brody, I was like, went in the gym and I'm like there with just the bar and I'm like squatting and like, you know, these, you know, meatheads around me are looking at like, why is this <laughs> dude just squatting the bar? Like, but I knew I needed to like, you know, the quality was important to me and I needed to get the movement patterns down. And I gradually, gradually increased my weight to where like now it's, I only can get five to eight reps 
with the amount of weight that I'm squatting or the amount of weight that I'm deadlifting because it is heavy enough that I can't do any more than that. Right. Good on you. So yeah, just take that time guys. If you are going to implement any of the things that we're talking about, because as Brody mentioned before, then it's like you're exceeding the load just like in your running, if you go and try to squat, you know, 300 pounds like tomorrow and you haven't been squatting any of that. And trust me, like your muscles are going to feel just even a little bit of stimulus and they're going to get sore and you're going to feel like, Hey, this is actually doing something. Yeah. And there's another good study looking at, um, the patella ligament, uh, the patella tendon at the front of your knee and looking at the tendon synthesis. So how it adapts to mechanical load. And they used two examples. They had one group that uh, did a knee extension machine and pretty heavy. I think they did like 80% of their one RM and they did three sets of eight to 10. And they sort of calculated how much load goes through that tendon, how much tendon synthesis it undertakes. And the amount of running that you need to do in order to stimulate that same amount of stimulate that same amount of load is about is running for about 16 kilometers and so what's safer in terms of overload and in terms of raising the capacity doing three sets of 10 knee extension or running for 16 kilometers it's it's crazy but the the body when it comes to running actually becomes quite numb to that stimulus really quickly so initially when you start running think of the body just saying to itself, oh, this is new, this is exciting, I'm bouncing, I'm bounding, I'm like adapting to it. But then after a couple of minutes, it's sort of like, okay, I, I'm looking for variety, I'm kind of getting bored of this, I'm kind of used to this, and it numbs to the adaptation process. Yes, your cardiovascular system continues with that challenge. It's like, oh, yeah, keep going, oh, yeah, it's, it's challenging, and the longer run, you know, your cardiovascular system will continue to develop. But when it comes to stimulus of your bones and of your tendons, it gets quite numb to it unless you offer that variety. And so what's, um, I'd say when it comes to overuse injuries, a lot safer just to do 30 reps of an exercise that's slow, controlled. And yeah, it's when we talk, like you say, about the question about how do we raise capacity, just a, a stark reminder about how effective you can be in the gym once you start doing some of that slow, heavy stuff. Yeah. And and then I guess I would also say, um, you know, for those that have been injured and they've gone to PT before or physio and they've been giving exercise for that injury and then they're discharged because their pain got better, right? That exercise that you were given was where you were at that point in time. And if you're looking to continue to grow as a runner, you should be progressing beyond that specific exercise or adding resistance, right? And continue to challenge the tissue in order to build up the capacity that Brody's talking about. So, you know, I, I feel like sometimes people either go from like one extreme to the other. You get people who are like, oh, these are my like PT exercises and now I'm done with that. I've graduated. And now I just go to either not doing any exercises because you're not injured anymore. Or you get people who are like, yeah, man, I've been doing these exercises religiously for like 10 or 20 years. And I'm like, literally the same exercise like you're just doing Mm. like the clamshell for like 20 years like yeah i've been doing i'm like well what is your goal like why are you doing it right and like we want to think if if your goal is to stay healthy as a runner and or get faster and or run further like we need to progress beyond that right and and continue building up 
the the really the capacity in that tissue so you can run faster or you can run longer so I, i'm sure you see some of that as well definitely yeah i think um it's it's sort of like you need that next step of the roadmap. It's okay. This is what it looks like after, once you're back to pain-free running, these are the steps you should take. And most of the time it is continue to progress until you meet the demands of running or exceed it. You know, a good scenario as hypothetical as it is, but if you have the capacity of all your tissues, ligaments, bones, muscles, if you have the capacity a lot higher than you could possibly reach within your running, then you can't get an overuse injury. Um, there's under recovery, which is an element of the load capacity model, which we haven't talked about yet. But in an ideal sense, that's kind of where you want to be. You want to continue stimulating that that tissue or that injury and continue building up that capacity to far exceed what it could possibly generate within your running. And once you're running builds up people go from a 10k to a half marathon to a full marathon like as those progressions um, naturally fall into place you need to raise the capacity and so your squats need to get heavier your lunges need to get heavier your calf raises all that sort of stuff it sort of just needs to meet the demands that you supply the only time i would ever tell someone to you know not progress is if they don't want to progress in their running if they say okay i'm doing my heavy squats twice a week it's you know 40 kilograms three sets of 10 i'm running five k's a week uh, five k's three times per week and i don't want to improve i don't want to get further i don't want to get faster i don't want to do anything like that i'd say you know what let's just hit that maintenance phase but rarely does that happen rarely does a runner want to do that so progression is the key yeah i couldn't agree more and you mentioned it so i gotta ask now is you know what role do you see like recovery playing in injury prevention or, you know, what do you consider under recovery? Yeah. And again, it's still that load versus capacity model. So you've got one pillar, which is your load, your training loads, how far you're running, what you're doing in the gym, cross training, that, that physical demand, that capacity is how much your tissues can withstand. Your capacity can diminish if you under recover. And so that's where it gets really tricky. Someone can, like theoretically, you can have an overuse injury, but your training remains consistent, no changes whatsoever. You can get an overuse injury if your recovery doesn't match. So sleep is the number one recovery tool you have. So I'll bring that up. Um, if you get all of your foam rollers, dry needling, massage, um, every single, like those massage guns, if you pile all of those on top of one another, it, it won't get close to exceeding the benefits of a good night's sleep. So sleep, very, very important. You can train consistently and all of a sudden, like we talked about before, I've got a, a baby due in June. If you have a newborn baby and you lack sleep, all of a sudden two weeks, you know, poor sleep, you can train consistently and get an overuse injury because when you don't sleep and your recovery is affected, your tissues can't adapt the same way. They don't have the, the capacity. They can't restore. They can't regenerate. They, they don't have that ideal sense to recover. And so that's when injuries can pop up. So sleep is number one. I would say stress is number two. So like 
emotional stress, um, psychological stress. You could be stressed out at work, which, you know, generally carries over into your sleep anyway. When those sort of things are negatively impacted, you need to make the conscious decision to not progress or even pull back your training loads until things start to turn into your favor. And I spoke to um, Eric Hegedus on the podcast. He's a, a researcher and he was saying the four signs of an injury that's just around the corner is if, you know, you've got muscle soreness, if you have like fatigue, like mentally fatigued, if you're um, not sleeping well, and if you're stressed. And so a lot of those things, if if four of those domains are negatively impacted, you know, an injury is just around the corner unless you change your training loads. Very, very important. So it's still that load versus capacity model. We spend most of our time focusing on that load, um, but there are lifestyle factors that influence the capacity. Oh, I just love how you you really tied that into our conversation today of loading capacity because now you've mentioned a third pillar of kind of the six part plan of how we stay healthy and build like a durable body and grow as runners is that recovery bucket. So I love how you really kind of integrated that into load and capacity. And yeah, this is the biggest thing that we need to educate our clients on, honestly. It's, you know, once once they get a structured plan from us and they have the accountability, the guidance, like they're all in, right? Like we work with like motivated people, right? Who are dedicated. They're they're like gonna do this, right? They're they've invested. But the recovery piece is the hardest part for us to, you know, get them to embrace. And like we say, it is actually part of the training. Like the recovery is part of your training. It's not only the runs that we have on your calendar. It's not only the strength sessions and the exercises we're giving you, but it's the recovery. And like you said, sleep is, is definitely that, that big one and life stressors. So I love how you really tied that into today's topic. And, you know, as we kind of, you know, wrap up, is there anything else that we didn't cover um, about like the science of, of kind of load versus tissue capacity and how we really prevent injuries that you want to share? I suppose from a, I guess we didn't really dive into listening to your body a little bit because you could you know, finding your adaptation sweet spot. It's about, you know, not underloading, but not overloading, finding somewhere in the middle. Listening to how your body's responding to workouts is really important to finding that that sweet spot. It's the same when you're injured, same when you're not injured. It's all about finding those things. But one thing that I guess I didn't cover is you kind of want to overload yourself a little bit. Like it's not about your sweet spot isn't just this maintenance phase. You do want to, I guess, dip your toes into the overload and then go back into the sweet spot. If we had this sort of graph, which I have in my book, it's just like flirting in and out of that overload, um, optimal recovery sort of cycle, which allows you to adapt more efficiently and get better, quicker, faster. So you might have a little bit of muscle soreness afterwards. You might have a little bit of joint stiffness, or you might you know, be challenged a little bit your body might be showing signs of overload, but that needs to be backed up with recovery. So as soon as you have delayed onset muscle soreness or, you know, a little bit of stiffness here and there, don't see that as your overtraining. See that as, okay, 
that's testing my limits. I don't want to do that too often. I don't want to go too far in that direction, but I also need to recover really well on the back end so that I adapt quicker. And you don't want you don't want that overload, soreness, stiffness to be throughout the vast majority of your week. You want that you know once or twice here and there. But it's just about flirting with that boundary line. You know, you can test your limits. Uh, it just needs to be structured really carefully. I love it. Dipping the toe in the water. And yeah, to see change, we have to add that stimulus to our bodies. So I know there's going to be many runners who are like, wow, this is like making sense. Hopefully, hopefully we had some light bulb moments for you guys. Um, if you've been listening during your run or you're listening in the car, Brody, tell where, you know, let the listeners know, you know, where they can get the book. Where's the best place for them to go and start following all the uh, great content that you are putting out there? So you can just search Run Smarter, um, Brody Sharp. That's like the title of the book. The title of the book's Run Smarter. And you can, you know, get that on Amazon, get it where uh, most online bookstores will, will be selling it. You can listen to the Run Smarter podcast if podcasts are your, you know, main medium of absorbing information. And yeah, I've just started YouTube as well. If you want to run smarter with Brody Sharp, if you want to look that up, I'm trying to educate runners more of a visual element as well as just the audio and the the books. So trying to trying to reach everyone in all all different uh, ways of communication. But yeah, if you're interested, I think most people find the podcast their first kind of like um, step into learning how to run smarter. The first ten episodes cover ten universal principles to reduce your risk of injury or overcome injury. That's usually where I direct people as like the first step, I guess you could say. Yeah. And I would highly recommend you guys check it all out. The book's amazing. Congrats again, Brody. I appreciate you coming on again. It's always, always a blast just kind of chatting with you. And, um, I hope everyone, you know, did enjoy our conversation today. So thanks again, Brody. I appreciate your time. Always have fun talking with you, Dwayne. Thanks again for the opportunity. And thank you to the listener, whether you're listening now during your run, watching the video version on the Spark Healthy Runner YouTube channel. I appreciate all of you. As always, let's maintain a strong mind, a strong body, and just keep running. Most runners spend an enormous amount of time not running for one reason. They keep getting injured. Now imagine if you could have the structure of exactly what exercises, how much to run, and what you should be eating to get faster as a runner. Spark off your winter running with a four-month strong body transformation. This is one-on-one individualized healthy runner coaching to grow a stronger, injury-free body so you can run for stress relief all winter long. What will you get by the end of the 16 weeks? a strong running body so you can actually feel confident, healthy, and running faster this spring, even if you don't think you're a fast runner. Oh, and did I mention, this will also take away your worry of getting injured. Spots are limited, so apply using the link in the show notes before they run away. Thank you as always for listening to the Healthy Runner Podcast where we help you get stronger, run faster, and enjoy lifelong injury-free running. If you found this content valuable, here's five ways we can help you grow as a runner for free. One, grab a free copy of my Spark Blueprint at learn.sparkhealthyrunner.com. 
sparkhealthyrunners.com. Two, follow my Instagram page at sparkhealthyrunner. Three, join my free group by searching Healthy Runner on Facebook. Four, subscribe to my YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash sparkhealthyrunner. Five, leave us a five-star review so we can gain access to more experts in the running field and bring those lessons back to you here. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button on Apple Podcast or the follow button on Spotify so you don't miss the next episode of Healthy Runner so you can maintain a strong mind, a strong body, and just keep running. Lastly, if you've been struggling with the constant injury cycle, not eating the right foods for running, or not getting faster as a runner, and you are ready to invest in becoming a lifelong injury-free runner, head to sparkhealthyrunner.com to apply for a one-on-one signature coaching program. Thank you again. I mean it from the bottom of my heart that I appreciate you for listening and sharing this podcast with a running friend who can use the help. Now go and crush your run today. See you next week.